Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue Baloo, you looking great. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Looking forward to the new year. Yeah, yeah. Got some plans. Let's uh, let people know they're coming up for you in just a couple of minutes. Brian Darcy James is going to be with us. He plays Officer Krupke in my favorite movie of the year, West Side Story. I didn't think I was going to like it. I wound up loving it. I didn't like the original. I love the the new one. You loved West Side Story, right? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I saw it when I was like 10 years old, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, to me, what was exciting, it was it was the first musical that I had ever seen. Right, right. And I was a big Natalie Wood fan. So, you know, I know there was a lot of controversy. Well, she didn't singing. actually do the singing. Right, right. Well, you know, I, I read that uh, Rita Moreno didn't sing every song. Is that right? There were parts of songs or at least one song that she didn't sing the whole thing. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. I think, uh, and I'm just talking out of my ass here, but I think the woman that actually sang the part, and if you're listening, maybe you can Google this and let us know if I was wrong, uh, is a woman named Marnie Nixon. I, am I right? Marnie Nixon. I think it's Marnie Nixon. And Marnie Nixon sang the part of Maria in West Side Story. And then she sang one other big part for somebody um, in a musical in the 60s. But she was like the go-to, hey, you're going to sing it and we're going to let some big star lip sync it so that it looks like they're singing. You are correct. And I think also she sang um, uh, for Julie Andrews. In the sound of music. There you go. Yeah. 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 So Marnie Nixon, she was like the go-to, hey, our actress can't sing. Although you would think Julie Andrews could sing. I know. Yeah. Marnie Nixon. Well, I think in some of the songs, there is a little bit of talking. Talk singing. Like, 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 like even in, in West Side, the original West Side Story, I think some of the singing, the talk singing, Natalie Wood did do. Right. Yeah, I mean, you can do the talks. Like, I was a very good talk singer. Right. Um, you, you know, I, I uh, oh, did, no. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> did star in uh, My Fair Lady as yes. Henry Higgins. Oh, really? You did? Yeah, I, know, I did. I Have I, I ever mentioned that? that? No. Um, yeah, in no. fact, I still remember part of a song. Oh, please. I've grown accustomed to a face. Oh. She nearly makes the day begin. I've grown accustomed to the tune. She whistles night and noon. Her smiles, her frowns, her ups, her downs are second nature to me now. Like breathing what? out and breathing in. What are you laughing? I think it's what actually pretty pauses. good. The ups and the downs. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's when you're talking, you know, sort of around the music. The music is going on, but you're a talk singer. I was a, I was a really good talk singer. Um, That's like me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a run walker. I'm a walk runner. Oh, you are. You're a walker. <laughs> yeah. You run a little, you walk a little, run, walk, run, walk. Yeah. So the right. running actually is not me. I just, it, the walking is only <laughs> Marty me. Nixon does the walking. She does. <laughs> so, 
So, uh, yeah. I, are you a big musicals person? Uh, yeah. Did you ever play in your high school plays or anything like that? Not in high school, but in college, I played Mortimer in the Fantastics. Oh, wow. Now, is that a singing part? It's not a singing part. Actually, um, Mortimer really doesn't have any lines. He just dies. Uh, he's he doesn't have any lines? He just dies. It doesn't count. If you have no lines in the show. What- I was in a musical. I was in the Fantastics. <laughs> <laughs> and you played a non-singing role where you just died. Exactly. Uh, I bet that was a great performance. It it was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's here's the weird thing. So I, I, I tell you a little bit here because we're in, we're getting ready to have one of the great musical theater actors of all time uh, on the show. And I, I'm talking about my performances, uh, which seems <laughs> a little self-centered. But the thing is, I, so I went to Bowling I, I, I started in all my high school shows. Um, I, I played in Fiddler on the Roof. I played in um, My Fair Lady. You and I was, play in Fiddler on the Roof. I played Perchick, who has one song, and, and it's a song that didn't even make it into the show. Let me see. I used to tell myself that I had everything. That was sort of the a little bit of it. That's what I remember. It's really, it's a really short song. <laughs> <laughs> um, then I went to Bowling Green, and you know I was in a fraternity, and I was the president of the fraternity. At first, I was the vice president, then I was the president, then I was the president of the inner fraternity council, and I was doing all these uh, intramurals, and I was constantly going. And then two years, I carved out time to be able to do a play, and. I walked in to two auditions and got the leads both times. Wow. Just why I just walked in. I hadn't done it. Got the leads. I uh, did that twice. And that's why I really wanted to be a Broadway actor. Hmm. And that's, I, that's how I got accepted to Yale drama school. So I got accepted to Yale drama school and I had gotten a this is like bragging. I had gotten a full scholarship to Bowling Green State University, which was really close to Toledo where I grew up. And my parents, I said, I want to go to Yale Drama School. And my parents said, absolutely not. You've got a full scholarship to Bowling Green. You're going to Bowling Green. And do you remember there was a, um, in risky business, there was a moment where Tom Cruise, and I don't remember the schools, Tom Cruise wanted to go to an Ivy league school and he threw that big party and the guy wasn't going to let him in. They rejected him from the Ivy. And he was like, what the fuck? Illinois university. And that's what, that was my attitude about going to Bowling Green. It was like, what the fuck? Bowling Green state university. Um, And it worked out, it worked out great, but I always wonder what would have happened. Like Brian Darcy James and I might have appeared in a show together. Had I gone to Yale drama school. What do you Hopefully think? you would have taken singing lessons at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was really into it, though. I was I, I wanted to be a Broadway actor when I was a, when I was a kid. I remember the first Broadway show I ever saw was um, uh, Dreamgirls. Mm. It was uh, we had a high school trip when I was a senior in high school and we went to New York and we saw uh, a few Broadway shows. And I remember seeing Dreamgirls and Jennifer Holliday was in it and sang the lead, the And I'm Telling You I'm Not Going song. 
And at that moment, I was like, oh, I really want to be on Broadway. I really want to be on Broadway. We also saw a, a musical, and I was amazed by it at the time. We went to see Cats. Mm-hmm. And Cats, in retrospect, is a completely ridiculous show. I've never seen it. Oh, my God. Oh, it is so awful. It is so awful. But at the time, I was amazed. It's like these people, and they're, they're made up like cats, and there's a gigantic tire and Betty Buckley is going up on this tire and she's singing memory. And I, so my little kid head, I was like, wow, this is cool. My grown up head was like, what, what did you think was cool about this? And then they turn it into a movie. And of course the oh. movie bombed like crazy. Oh God. The, I I've never read worse reviews. Oh, terrible, terrible. I, uh, now you go to a lot of shows. I do. Um, yeah, you I and mean, your friend I, I got, Kathy I, are like subscribers to the Pantages or the Amundsen or one of those, right? Yeah, you know, we used to, like when we lived in New York together, we used to, uh, no, it wasn't in New York. Actually, it started out here. We would get like packages, you know, for the Pantages or for Dorothy Chandler. And we would see like the the run of what, you know, of of every show that season. Right. Um. So I don't really do that anymore, but. Um, but you I don't just go- saw, didn't you just see one? I saw the-, the band's visit. Yeah, now the band's visit broke the record for winning most Tonys in history. What was the band's visit about? I don't know anything about it. It's about an Egyptian uh, band members who end up in um, a part of Israel and um, they don't end up performing like they're not in the right place. Yeah. But they end up just having a night with um, a, a bunch of Jewish families that live in the town it's like a tiny tiny town right and it's just it gets you know kind of an an, an intimate they they end up having an intimate relation i'm not saying sexual they just become intimate with yeah yeah, right right and um it's it's just really fun and and heartwarming and the music is incredible because the you know they are a band so yeah sure they're playing and it's just a just a delightful story. Oh, that's nice. That's yeah. nice. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed that. You told me about it, and then I'm sorry. It's gonna I missed be. It. It's it's actually gonna be. I think in Costa Mesa because I told a friend of mine, you she has to go see it. Yeah. So it's still in Southern. California. It's still in Southern California. Oh yeah, yeah. Hey, but I don't know what we're doing right now with going to show. I'm like I'm going. Uh, we're recording this on uh, January the fifth of 2022 i'm i'm going to a football game on sunday i'm going to the rams niners game at sofi stadium and i'm like i'm not going to take my mask off for a single second right i'm not going to eat i'm not going to drink but i would just prefer not to get covid if at all possible yeah i mean i was just you know with a group of people and a lot of them i didn't know so that was a little risky and maybe irresponsible but you know but that's just you (laughs) You know, I'm, That's I'm, boost- Sue's I'm, life, I'm irresponsible. I mean, I'm boosted and, you know, I didn't, I don't know if, if everybody, you know, even had any shots at yeah. this place, you know, is that the one with all the free booze and stuff, free booze and, um, yeah, communal, just basically like living in a commune, weed, <laughs> free weed. Uh, yeah, there was free weed. And, Where, um, how do you get a ticket to this thing? Free booze and free weed. You have, to, party. You, you have to, uh, be invited. Wow. How many people? There were maybe, uh, maybe 20 people. Can I get on the list for next year? I don't think so. Because I just sat home and watched uh, Andy and Anderson Cooper. Oh, yeah. How was that? Oh, train wreck. It was so great. 
It was so, it was such a train wreck. So this is an example. So Andy Cohen, who I don't, I don't watch his show. I don't, I don't know housewives from anything desperate house or real housewives. So Andy Cohen gets completely wasted. I mean, just like seriously drop dead drunk. And at one point journey is playing down in times square. And so Andy just goes off. He's like, I'll step away from the mic a little bit. So it's not too loud. I'll try to imitate what he did. Ryan Seacrest. That's not journey. Journey is Steve Perry. If you don't have Steve Perry, it's not even really journey. Oh my God. And then he went off on Bill de Blasio, the outgoing mayor. He's like, sayonara, sucker. Oh, my God. Oh, he was out of control. Oh, I, I can only imagine what producers were saying in his ear. Or in Anderson's ear. Yeah, really. Like, shut him up. Yeah, shut him up. <laughs> Pull the plug on that guy. He's out of control. Wow. And I, it's the one night a year where, like, CNN just goes, screw it. We're just we're going to put our people on TV. They're going to get drunk. They're going to get crazy. It's going to go off the rail. And it was, it was fun. It was actually it made New Year's Eve watchable. Now, is he drunk every year? Yeah, gets drunk every year. And, and what I don't about remember Anderson? him coming off the rails like this. Now, is Anderson drunk, too? Hammered. <laughs> just hammered. Drinking shots every ten minutes. Try a shot of this. Try a shot of and that. And it's and it's authentic. They really are. Oh drinking. no, it's it's a hundred percent real. Because Anderson is like giggling and can't stop himself from giggling at Andy Cohen. It's like it's the craziest show. But it so far beats uh, Ryan Seacrest and Happy Rock and New Year or whatever the hell that one is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so much, so much better. So and and also New Year's is big because it is Juan and I's sixteenth anniversary. To, uh, oh, on, on January wow. the first. Yeah, we met on January the first. Well, happy anniversary! Thank you. Sixteen years is like fifty in gay years. <laughs> so true. <laughs> it's so, so true. true. Now, how how soon did you move in with one another? Uh, honestly, about three weeks. Yeah, that's a very gay. That's a very gay thing. No, it's a very lesbian thing. Oh, it's a lesbian thing. Yeah, because uh, the the joke goes, "What do uh, lesbians do on a second date? Get a U-Haul. What do gay guys do on a second date? What second date?" <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's I, very funny. Yeah, I'm going to put that in my act. I move. <laughs> oh God. One of these days, Steve. One of these days. <laughs> I'm putting together an act. See your name on a marquee. Yep. I'm going to talk uh, sing during it too. <laughs> talk singing and jokes. You're going to do like a kind of like a musical stand up act? <laughs> musical stand up, but only with talk singing. And Marty Nixon is going to show up and do some it's, of the singing. <laughs> it's comic rock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, enough of the silliness uh, because we've got a real Broadway star. <laughs> Coming on uh, right now, um, our guest today is a three-time Tony nominee for his work on Broadway with shows including Shrek and Dirty Rotten, uh, Dirty Rotten and Hamilton and Next to Normal. On television, he has made countless appearances like 13 Reasons Why, Smash, and on and on. He worked on the Disney Plus series 
Hawkeye, which I absolutely loved. And he stars as Officer Krupke in Steven Spielberg's spectacular remake of West Side Story. Brian Darcy James joins us. Brian, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So I love Broadway. Used to live in New York. Dreamed one day of being a Broadway actor. Never quite got there. I ended up doing this kind of stuff. Uh, but I, you're, I'm a huge fan of yours. I saw Shrek and I saw Next to Normal. I've seen you in a bunch of stuff. And I, I was completely blown away by West Side Story. Absolutely loved it. It's my favorite movie of the year. Um, when you first heard Spielberg was going to do it, what, what were you thinking? I was excited. I was excited by the idea of it. Uh, I, um, uh, I, I'm not too worried about going back and revisiting things to kind of reimagine them. Uh, I understand people's hesitance to kind of get into the, the, to the, you know, the, the idea of like what, what should and shouldn't be uh, reinterpreted or reimagined. Um, but that, that was not a huge consideration for me in the hands of Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner and uh, Justin Peck, the choreographer, um, whose work I didn't know as well um, at that point. Um, but, but Stephen and Tony's pedigree, of course, was some, something that really uh, uh, you know, made me feel pretty confident that it was going to be uh, a really, really beautiful thing. Yeah, and the cinematography, Janusz Kaminski, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, it was just so beautiful to look at. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It's one thing to see the the result of uh, the work of someone who is so. And I'm t- speaking of Janusz and, and his his ability to paint pictures uh, with light, and and to be inside and to watch this person, you know, uh, just just have the ability to to. I, I just marvel at it. I guess is my point. And the the way that that he works with Steven Spielberg, they have such a shorthand that it, it was really fun and interesting and fascinating to watch them kind of concoct these scenes. Oftentimes, you wouldn't have much of a conversation at all because I think you know Janish from from t- loads and loads of preparation with uh, Steven. He's notoriously famous for for being a store storyboarder, um, but they would just they would just know where to go and what to do. And if there was something to tweak, it wouldn't take more than two words. And Giannis would be like, yep, yep. And usually that, that meant more lights. <laughs> you know, I, I would say that you could take, there's so many images from that movie that stick with me. I would argue that you could take those frames and turn them into pictures that would, you would hang yep. on your wall. They are so beautiful. And you mentioned Steven Spielberg and storyboarding. He is really, really famous for that. What's Spielberg like on a set? What's, what's he like to work with on a set? He is a lovely, lovely man, uh, first and foremost. He is a collaborator. He's a true collaborator um, in the sense that he is interested in finding uh, the best in what everybody is bringing to the table, whether that's a grip, whether that's an actor, whether that's the lead, whether that's, you know, X, Y, or Z down the line. He creates an environment that I think uh, engenders a lot of um, enthusiasm and, and excitement purely by the fact that I think people feel confident that they are being asked to do what they do because the captain of the ship believes in their ability. And I, and I think that is a huge testament to his success in, in terms of creating a community, a real um, uh, single-mindedness of, of, uh, of uh, purpose when it comes to doing these things, because these are, these are huge endeavors. 
And I, I think, you know, sometimes it's as simple as get, getting everyone on the same page to believe that everyone's working together. I mean, it's a very, kind of an ephemeral thing to say, but I think he has this talent to, to, to create this oxygen that everyone is breathing that makes them feel like, yeah, we are doing our best work. And uh, I think that shows up. Yeah, you know, um, just getting back to the, the original film, I was around 10 when I saw the original. It was the first musical that I had seen. And my parents were very big with like show albums. So that just seeing like the red original, the cover of the album yeah. with the black fire escape and the, and the silhouettes dancing on the fire escape. Um, you know, I've been reading so much about the original and I just discovered that Originally, it was supposed to be a story about an Irish Catholic family and a Jewish family feuding in the Lower East Side, and yes. it was and it was originally called East Side Story. Yeah, I, I had no idea. Oh, I read that as well. Yeah, I mean, like like all great ideas, they go through different permutations to find the best landing landing spot. I don't know my history well enough to 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 tell you how and why they ultimately ended up where they did. But yes, I, I had read that as well. It was something that I read. There was a there was a fight that broke out between um, uh, Latino. I don't know if they were Puerto Rican. Maybe they were Puerto Rican in San Bernardino. It was a I guess it was a big story, and mm. they decided to make it about that. Oh, interesting. Mm. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it's kind of cool. Well, they made they made a good choice. I think I, I it's uh it's 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 definitely a um uh. A timely story of, of inclusion and or exclusion, and the the bridges we need to build to kind of uh, to to get rid of the uh, the latter. Uh, yeah. So so some of these performances: um, Anita Debose as Anita, uh, Rachel Ariana, Zegler Ariana as Debose. Maria, uh, Mike Faced as Riff. I'm like, I had never seen any of these actors before. Are they Broadway actors, or where did they come from? Um, yeah, they are. I mean, Rachel, the exception, because I think she was, I don't, I may misspeak here, but I think she was 17 when she was originally started to audition. So, um, I, I, I didn't know of her only, only other than the, uh, the, the YouTube video of her, of her singing something in her high school auditorium, which somehow I managed to see scrolling, you know, with my thumbs on my phone at one point or another. But Mike Feist is uh, is a Broadway actor, as is Ariana DeBose. Ariana and I were both in the original production of Hamilton. She played the bullet uh, in 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 the production of Hamilton, which is for people that don't know. Well, everybody knows. Everybody, everybody's <laughs> seen it by now. Yeah. So yeah, the bullet though is an interesting thing. People, some people might not know that 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 character, that role, that track in the in the uh, ensemble is characterized as. Uh, a moment in this, the in the final parts of the sh uh, the the story where, when Burr shoots the gun, the bullet actually travels across the stage, and Ariana is the representation of that bullet. So that that character, that track, is lovingly called the bullet. Um, anyway, she's she, she's undoubtedly, and um, you know, all you have to do is watch the movie to see just how incredibly, incredibly talented all three of them are. Um, and Mike, his Broadway. His Broadway uh, splash was in uh, Dear Evan Hansen, so uh, he—he's, you know, he's a—he—I uh, he, think it's safe to say that Rachel, Ariana, and Mike are all really kind of children of the theater. So, 
what do you think makes West Side Story timeless? I mean, it feels like the music is as as fresh today as it was in 1960. You know, I just met a girl in America and, and tonight. And it somehow it doesn't feel old fashioned. Like it feels it, it feels as fresh today as it did then, I think. And I, I wonder, you know, Stephen Sondheim passed away. Uh, this last year, and he wrote the lyrics, and that was his first. I mean, why is why do you think the music has been and is so timeless? Well, I think I think just to answer the question about overall why, I think it is a combination of the music and the 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 kind of underlying DNA of the greatest love story ever of Romeo and Juliet. But to to address the music aspect, the way I see it is that I, I've always seen or visualized this music, if that's not a strange thing to say, I've always visualized Bernstein's score as these cathedrals of songs. Hmm. And they have such, uh, such unique properties to them and their construction and how they sound and the harmonics. And, you know, someone who understood music better could articulate this way better than I am, but something about the music just seems like each one is just a, a beautiful Michelangelo sculpture. Uh, that also has this ability to kind of have its toe on the third rail of what people might think a, a Broadway song or Broadway score should sound like. So, in other words, the foundation is this kind of theatrical score as as people are, are, are drawn to or, or maybe expecting to hear or wanting to hear in that medium. But what they get is this, you know, classical um expansion of that idea with his brilliance. I think, you know, the story too, um, you know, I grew up Jewish in New York and, you know, my parents weren't really religious when I was growing up, but their parents were religious. So when they were teenagers, if you were to date and God forbid, marry outside of the Jewish religion, you were, you were considered dead. They actually would hold a mock funeral Mm. And they would not talk to you ever again if you if you made that choice. Wow! And you know, me growing up, I I never dated Jewish guys. I always dated Catholic guys, and um and had to hide that I was dating somebody who wasn't Jewish because my parents, you know, that's the way they grew up. And it's weird because I I never looked at them as as being like you know you know racist or or anything like that or you know like not liking. Catholic people, they just didn't want me to be with somebody who wasn't Jewish, which I had a lot of resentment <laughs> towards them for that, you know? But I think that universal thing, sadly, still goes on today. Truly, truly it does. And uh, th- I think you're right. I think just the idea of love being kind of cut up into boxes where you, you stay in this box and you can't get out of this box if, if you love someone or something that it doesn't doesn't you know coexist in that box, then you know, too bad for you. That is that's nonsense, and I think you know we're we're faced with that every single day in terms of how we define our our um, you know the culture that we live in, how how we look at others in terms of them having different desires or different outlooks or different whatever. And there's so much fear attached to that that it you know. I think the lesson of this story is, is we we have to we have to kind of you know batter down the walls of tribalism so that you know that that people can go where they want to go and 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 express their love freely. 
So there, this was a big year for movie musicals. Uh, you know, the In the Heights uh, was great. I loved uh, Dear Evan Hansen. Tick, Tick, Boom is great. Uh, now West Side Story. And I think like three of those are going to be like Academy Award type movies, including West Side Story. Um, do you think that we're going to see more movie musicals? I hope so. I think it's something that's been that has been slowly expanding in the in our kind of cultural uh, awareness of what, well, not awareness, but I guess appetite is a better word because, you know, everyone says the golden era, you know, the golden age where where movie musicals were the thing and all the rage and everybody it was just like like falling off a log to go see a movie musical and then that went away, and we didn't have those for a long long time and until about 10, 15 years ago in my estimation. Again, an historian would be better to kind of mark these these kind of landmarks in time. But it just seems lately there has been more of an appetite to want to have storytelling uh, include um, music as the as the dis- distribution you know of that story. So yeah, I think it's super exciting, and it's you know great for the likes of people like myself who have spent a, a lifetime in the theater and who love and um, uh, are drawn to that kind of storytelling uh, through, you know, musicals are just, just astounding when they work because they just operate on a whole different level and they really make you feel in a, uh, I think uh, in a, in a, perhaps a deeper way or a different way at least. Yeah. Cause like when I was a kid, when, you know, seeing West Side Story and um, the sound of music and Oklahoma, I didn't even know they they originated as as shows, stage right. shows. To right. me, they were just movies. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And there is something uh, quite beautiful to be able to perhaps introduce uh, a whole slew of people who are seeing movies as their kind of go-to uh, mode of consuming uh, entertainment and art and then have them realize just like you did, oh, wait, what? this is based on something else? What is that? And maybe just kind of, you know, dig a little bit and find out what that means to experience it in the theater. So that's always a great thing when you can kind of kill two birds with one stone. So you were in Hawkeye, which is on uh, Disney Plus, And what a what a great show. I had so much fun with that show. Uh, my mom and my uh, my her boyfriend loved it. They're like 80 years old. I thought it was like a totally universal story. And Haley Steinfeld was great. Jeremy Renner and. Vera Farmiga, what a great cast and a holiday oh, yeah. theme. Just yeah. totally works. Now you're, what is it like being part of this Marvel universe? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm I, I will say right off the bat that I am, um, as I've said many times throughout this podcast, you know, I'm no expert on, on anything really. Um, one of which is the Marvel universe. Uh, I, I know, generally speaking, you know, what's going on. But I do not know all the nooks and crannies. So that that's the first thing is, is kind of understanding, okay, well, I have a little bit of homework to do here to kind of, you know, justify my presence, at least, you know, kind of understand what's happening in these storylines. And um, so that's that's kind of daunting, at, at, you know, to, to enter into that world because people love it so much and have dedicated a lot of energy and, and um, you know, enthusiasm and fandom in that arena. So you want to respect that. Um, The second thing is that, you know, the way they tell that way, the Marvel tells these stories, I think is so, so exciting and so refreshing. And um, uh, I've always been a fan of, of that, 
for example, WandaVision was a great kind of shot in the arm for my, for my taste in terms of, you know, how, how, um, how this, this word Marvel can, can kind of reimagine, there's that word again, reimagine yep. their own, their own properties. And, um, I, I really, really get excited by, by, you know, risk taking like that, especially when it comes from like big, you know, big operations like Marvel, they're willing to kind of crack the egg and see, well, maybe we can make a different kind of omelet here. That's a terrible metaphor, but I think you get what I'm saying. So, you know, I know there are like serious filmmakers um, who who bag on Marvel stuff and like Martin Scorsese said that Marvel movies aren't cinema and all that stuff. And I, I mean, I don't view it that way at all. Like Hawkeye is a really sophisticated storyline, multiple characters. Everybody's got their own story. And, you know, for me, and it's, you know, it's really all Joseph Conrad hero's story, uh, hero's journey. Um, do you feel differently now that you're, do, do you understand sort of that, that criticism and does it make sense? Well, sure. I mean, I understand the idea of, of the, the, the pursuit of purity in terms of the craft of making or what, what making a film, uh, you know, meant to, uh, the likes of, People like Scorsese and Spielberg and anybody, anybody who is uh, is is you know an expert in their field, um, they're going to want to try to to protect what is and what has come before. And I think that that will all, that's that's that should happen. And they have an argument and they have every right to to make it. And but I also think that you know there are all kinds of ways to to tell a story. And at the end of the day, it's really just about how it goes down for you. If you don't like, if you don't like, you know, Marvel or or any kind of you know Superman story or whatever it is, then you, you probably won't see it. And if you're drawn to uh, you know something that falls into the category of of you know maybe it more in the purest sense uh, of filmmaking, then you're going to want to you're going to stick to that, and that's okay. Um, but I think you know. Uh, just just across the board there's there's such a redesigning of um or a re uh configuration i guess of 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 the business of making films and television and, and how we consume it and streaming and how that has played a part in you know how we get our entertainment and so you know the definition of what entertainment is 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 all dependent upon you know you know what what's happening today and then what happens tomorrow could be a totally different thing. You know, I came to the Marvel world late in life, um, probably a couple of years ago. You know, when Steve and I started doing the podcast, I started to watch a lot of Marvel movies because we were having guests who were in the films. And, you know, my feeling was always like, you know, it's like someone who says, uh, hey, you know, try escargot. And it's like, oh, no, I don't, I don't want that. And it's like, oh, but taste it. And it's like, oh, no, I don't know. I, I, a snail. I can't, I can't eat snail. Um, and that's kind of how I was with Marvel films. I had this preconceived idea that I wasn't going to like these movies. And Shazam was one of the first movies that I saw. And, you know, I, I came back to Steve and I said, oh, my God, this movie was great. And what I never re realized, um, because I never really watched the movies, are the writing is so good. Yeah. It's so smart. And it's with a little wink, wink, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's written with, with a great sense of humor and, um, and it's, I mean, I'm like a huge fan now. 
Yeah, that, that's what I loved about Hawkeye with uh, the relationship between Jeremy and Haley. Uh, you know, it, it reminded me of this. This is dating myself and might, might not be the best uh, reference, but Moonlighting. Remember Moonlighting? With yeah, Bruce, sure. With mm-hmm. Bruce Willis and uh, Sybil Shepherd. Just that, that classic kind of, um, you know, unlikely pairing and the banter that happens between, you know, that was a romantic thing, obviously, and it's not the case in Hawkeye, but just the kind of oil and water uh, way of seeing things, I thought really, really was was smart and clever. And I love that aspect of their relationship in Hawkeye, um, the kind of uh, up and comer, you know, just, you know, just always, always wanted to be a part of the, of, of the game and, and the, uh, the kind of grizzled vet having to begrudgingly accept her and then realize, oh my gosh, she, she's worthy, if then some, of, of taking the mantle. So I love, I love that aspect of the storytelling. So when I was uh, growing up, the the one job that I wanted to have in life was to be a Broadway actor. Um, that's Sue's laughing. <laughs> I'm hoping you're not going to sing. So no, I'm not going to sing. Before you came on, I was actually doing a little My Fair Lady, which is <laughs> Sue thinks is very funny and I thought was very credible. Um, what was it like for you, like when you first set foot on a Broadway stage? Well, I've told this story a few times, not, not, not many times, but the first thing that comes to my mind is I, I was, my first Broadway show was a show called Blood Brothers. And it was a show that started in London. It's this great show um, uh, created by Willie Russell. And it's about two boys who are sep- twin boys who are separated at birth. And one grows up on the, uh, on the wrong side of the tracks. The other one grows up on the posh side of the tracks. And they have a tragic kind of connection at the end. Um, anyway, I love the score. I knew it and I couldn't believe that I was, I was actually in it because I was familiar with the show and, and, and then suddenly found myself in the, in the company of this Broadway show because one of the actors, Philip Lale, uh, had left the show to do another play and, uh, they needed to refill it uh, unexpectedly, I think. So anyway, that's how I came to be in it. But to answer your question, I do remember waiting to go on. And wondering, just like you asked, what is this going to feel like? What is, I'm on a Broadway stage. What will this moment be like? And as I walked through the wings onto the stage to take my position in the back of like a tableau, I was on one of the ensemble uh, members. um, My sudden realization was this is really no different than everything I've been doing since eighth grade Hmm. in the sense that, you know, it's the same thing. It's proscenium, it's wings. It's people in costumes, it's lights, and there's a story to tell, and you walk out and you do it. Now, granted, it's a different, different expectation. It's a different business. It's, it's, it's a whole different ball of wax. But I do remember being kind of soothed by that idea of feeling like, oh, this is, this is something I know how to do. I've been doing it for the last, you know, however many years at that point in my, in my young career. So, I don't know. There's something kind of powerful in that, I think, and just in terms of, you know, the simplicity of, of what theater is and the power of it. And uh, in terms of doing it, it just it requires people that are dedicated to want to tell, to tell stories that way. That's a great way of, of uh, explaining it, because I would think as a rookie in any sport, you know, you're playing in a in a it's it's a smaller arena. I mean, even if it's in a big stadium, you know, when you make it to the show your first at bat, 
Right. <laughs> it's got to be like, you know, yeah. I, as, as a spectator, I'm like, I'm nervous for the guy. You know, right, exactly. Everything around the thing has changed. The, 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 there are more seats. There are brighter lights. There are more people watching. Everything is heightened. The thing, the mechanics of the job have remained the same. So, I, you know, that's, that's like a, a life lesson in any regard, just to kind of have to understand what, what it is that's in your control to do the power that you have to do because you're, you're, you're equipped or you're capable of, you're mindful enough. And then the things outside of it that are kind of perhaps infecting it with other kinds of ideas that aren't helpful. But speaking of sports, this is a, this is a real fast 180 U-turn. I'm yeah. noticing the Los Angeles Rams hat. And as a Michigander who grew up a lifelong Detroit Lions fan, <laughs> I am now a newly minted Los Angeles Rams fan with the arrival of Matthew Stafford. Yeah. Yeah. Great team. Yeah. We're, <laughs> we are really good. I mean, I'm a huge Rams fan. I'm a season ticket holder. Oh, nice. um, I, you know, I do a show every day uh, for ESPN here in Los Angeles. I do a three-hour show, um, and we do a lot of Rams. I absolutely love the team, and we are good. And Matthew Stafford's really good. If he can cut down on turnovers. I know. I know. I'm glad you think that. Yeah. I mean, for the true Ram fans, I, obviously, you know, the Lions fans are like, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's fine. We'll, we'll come back and win it with three seconds left. That's what we do. Or, you know, sometimes. But, uh, yeah, we're all, we're all kind of already equipped with that kind of, like, uh, you know, uh, come from behind mentality. Let's put it that way. Well, that, that last game, that fourth and five with Beckham catching that ball, it was like, oh my, well, that was it. I mean, you know, that was the game. It was unbelievable. I mean, that's, classic, that's classic Stafford. Obviously you don't want to be in that position where you're kind of relying on those seven seconds left in the game to win it. But, uh, at any rate, I, I, I've, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, doing my, my best to kind of uh, catch up and, and, you know, be a legitimate Rams fan. But, you know, Stafford is, uh, Stafford's fun to watch. I've always loved him. We're really good. I hope we get the Super Bowl at home. We're at <laughs> SoFi Stadium. Yeah. Wouldn't that it be, be amazing? amazing? It would be. So you, you, um, we had Brian Cranston on a while back and it was, I think it was right after he finished network and he's unbelievable. He was unbelievable in that show. I mean, he, I, it's such a, you know, it's such an emotional uh, kind of road that that character Howard Beale goes through, and I, and he did it every night for eight to eight times a week. Yeah, and so I, I, I mentioned I do a radio show every day, and you know, it's three hours, and there are days where I think, boy, that wasn't a very good show. And that, that show kind of sucked or days where I say, boy, I was really great on that show. Do you ever, if you're doing a Broadway show, think afterwards, boy, I had an off night. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's inevitable. Um, and why that happens, you know, could be a million different reasons, but usually it has to do with kind of your ability or one's ability to uh, allow themselves to be in the moment, to remain in the moment, as opposed to, trying to achieve something that they achieved last night or three weeks ago when that moment really, really popped or, you know, those things are mysterious. And um, yeah, there are definitely nights where you, where you feel like, you know, maybe something technical goes wrong or you screw up something uh, with, a, with a cue and, or fumble a line and you think, oh, oh no, I've lost them because now, now they are not believing the, the kind of, kind of the, the mist that we've created that, 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 you know, that we're living in this kind of made up world. And then you make a mistake and you think, oh no, I just blew it. So yeah, that, that, that gets in, but you know, he, here's, sorry, sorry to go back to 
uh, a sports analogy. No, please no, do. No, no, we love it. Yeah, we're I, big I sports often, people. I often think about this in the, in these terms, like the ability for a great quarterback to shrug off an interception and to not fixate on a mistake that has gone wrong that allows him to go out and and not not have that be part of the of the 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 component that is allowing them to play or not allowing them to play because they're going to think they do it again. That is the, I think that's the key to, um, you know, in a way to kind of being in the moment on stage, if something goes wrong, you got to let it go. You just have to let it go because it's not going to do, it's not going to be of any service for the thing that you're doing in the moment, which is ultimately the only thing that matters because that's, that's, that's the only thing that exists. <laughs> it's 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 such a truthful thing. I mean, live performance, you know, working without a net. You know, years ago, I did stand-up and I was interviewed by Roy Firestone when he was doing Up Close. And he asked me why I love baseball so much. He says, why do you have this kind of affinity for it? And I said, you know, as a stand-up comedian, you know, you're only as good as your last set. Mm. And I can watch a, a, a Cy Young Award pitcher give up eight runs in an inning and think, how does someone like this perform so poorly and then go out the next night and, and they, and, and, and have a shutout, you know? I mean, so that's the thing that I guess for me, I mean, I always had to remember that, you know, it's, it's, it's one moment, it's one show yeah, and it doesn't define me. Yeah, exactly. It's the combination of technique and that, that, that word of, that I used before, like the mechanics, the, the, the ability to do something and, and your, your natural gift, uh, you know, matched with the time that you spent honing that talent. And then there's the mental aspect. And that's, I think, you know, from what I've read, that's really what sets apart the greats in, in, the, in the sports world. Their mental ability to, to rise above the noise and to just kind of trust their, their gift. Um, I mean, I just, I just think that's just a great way of looking at life, really, in terms of you know getting a job done, particularly as an actor, because again, the only thing that matters is the, is is the moment and being in the moment. I mean, you hear this a lot with acting and and acting classes, and 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 you know, actors talk about it. It's just it's part of the trade of of what what it means to do something technically. It's just you can't you can't construct something that is. I mean, you can construct something that is false. And that is usually a very uh, visible thing and not interesting to watch because you can see it a mile away. But if you are just literally um, uh, kind of going with the flow of what is actually happening, I think that's mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. So I, I am a huge fan of the show Smash. They had a uh, marathon of Smash on uh, E! a couple of months ago. And yeah, it's a little theatrical by TV standards, but the show for me completely works. And here's what's weird, unless I'm misremembering this. Did you ever get a song in that show? Because, you're I mean, you're really one of the great musical theater actors there is right now. Did you ever get a song on Smash? Well, I'm, I'm going to push, pa- push pause on that, on that, on that answer. There seems to be kind of a strange little um, motif of my career happening where I'm in these great musical things where I'm not allowed to sing. And, <laughs> and, and I, I, you know, some people say that to me and I, I kind of shrug. And, but the, the truth is, is that I, I'm, I've always been more interested in, <laughs> in working as an actor sure, sure. and not, not necessarily having to rely on, on my voice is the thing that gets me the job. I've always said that. Now, having said that, um, would I have loved to have sing more on Smash or in any other thing that, that requires singing? Yeah. 
but I, that never really bothers me. So that's just first and foremost. But to your your point, your question, I did I did sing a song, and I hesitate to bring it up because um, it was it was a it was a moment where I was singing uh, to try to cheer up my wife, the lovely and amazing Deborah Messing. Uh, I can't remember why I was trying to cheer her up um, in the moment, but but I did it by singing Three Little Birds by Bob Marley with a guitar hero okay. a, a guitar strapped up on my shoulder and a, a strange fedora, you know, cocked on my forehead, which <laughs> I, I'm not so sure that that should have happened. <laughs> I just, I just love did. that. I love but that show. I love that show. I thought it was so much fun. Yeah, that was one of my my one of my experiences working with Steven Spielberg. He was the executive producer of that and was really a, a big big uh, brainchild. You know, kind of it was his. If I'm not mistaken, it was his kind of concoction, and uh, he was behind that all the way. And so, uh, um, not not to kind of jump jump stories here, but it, it would make sense that he would want to uh, to 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 make a movie like West Side Story. Yeah, yeah. So is Broadway? I, I know it's open. Uh, I know some shows are paused uh, because of uh, COVID. Do you think? Do you think Broadway is able to bounce back from all this stuff? I do. I do think so. Uh, how that happens, I don't know. Um, it's it, it makes me sad to talk about this because it is. It's been such a roller coaster, and the 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 uh, the delight and the relief. And the excitement of getting a chance to kind of turn the lights back on again, uh, not only for the people that are that love Broadway and want to see a show, but from the inside, from people like myself and the, and all the people that I usually work with, you know, it's a chance for them to to to, to ply their trade and to 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 do what they love and to have employment and take care of their families and pay their health insurance, all of those vital things that that sometimes aren't necessarily put into the equation when it comes to kind of evaluating these things. And I think that's, I think what COVID has taught us is that across the board, that, that is a, that is a, a mindset that we are, I think perhaps we're able to expand our, our view of things in terms of how people make their livings and when they don't have jobs, how that affects them and the people that, you know, are severely affected by that, um, et cetera, et cetera on the socioeconomic scale. That's, yeah. that's a whole nother tangent. But, but in terms of Broadway, um, I do think it comes back because I do think that there is always going to be an audience for the way that stories are told on stage and in the way that Broadway does it. And um, I found it interesting and a, a definite sign of the times. I haven't seen any other uh, show that's doing this, but a, a friend of mine, Kevin McCollum, is the lead producer on Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm -hmm. And they have suspended their, their production for nine weeks, uh, starting, I don't want to give the incorrect date, but basically sometime in January, they're going to shut down and they're going to open up again in March. And in the, in, in the uh, strategic attempt to, to keep the show open, uh, so they can they can start again in March when perhaps we're past this surge. So all of which to say is that there are a lot of people who are trying to figure out how how to how to make this work, and not only for their employees, the actors, the stage the stage crew, etc., but for the people that want to come and want to experience this thing that we all love. So that's a long way of saying yes. I do think it comes back, um, but boy oh boy, it's. Um, it's trying and it's disheartening and, but, and I'm hopeful. 
Well, listen, um, everybody should check out Hawkeye on Disney+. Plus. Um, most of all, congratulations on West Side Story. It really is the best movie of the year, and I'm not just saying that. It's a spectacular movie experience. And, of course, go Rams and go Matthew Stafford. Uh, Brian, <laughs> can, I say one, can I say one yeah, last thing? Yeah, please. Hawkeye thing? Again, in, my, in my, my you know fast education of the Marvel Universe, is that I will say about Derek Bishop, and I, I, I preface this by saying I know nothing about what they're thinking or where they're going or what's happening. But I have learned, I just want to just say this out loud in the universe. I have learned that if you don't see the person die, if you don't see their body, yeah, you know, there's, mm. there's always, you know, there's always a chance. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I say that as a person who is begging the employers out there of the Marvel <laughs> universe to maybe think about that. Exactly. exactly. Even when someone, even when someone dies, they come back. Yeah, no, that's true. Half the world, uh, yeah, you, again, you're not a Marvel, but half the world did uh, die in uh, the Avengers movie. And that's then, true. Oh, that's right. That's right. And then I they think, all came back. I think the world needs more Derek Bishop. Yes, I completely okay. agree. I completely agree. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for doing this. It's been great. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. There is Brian Darcy James. Great guy. Oh, God, he was so much fun. Yeah, I, I really am. I love talking to the Broadway people that we are people who have done Broadway mm-hmm. on the show because I'm fascinated yeah. by it because, you know, I was destined to be on Broadway. <laughs> you know, and I and I always love when we interview people that that want to talk sports. Yeah, me too. It's it's like it's like when I meet somebody and they love dogs. I like yeah, I love I, I like them immediately. Yep. You know? Oh, you're so, a dog person. Yeah, you're a sports exactly. person. And especially you're a baseball person. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, hey, that was fun. Um, let me see. Oh, you know, it's a new year. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the same old Jacob and Ronnie who you want for your life, yourself, if you are involved in any kind of accident. Uh, like right now, Uber and Lyft accidents are a big thing. It's super complicated. Because they've got insurance and then Uber Lyft has insurance and you've got insurance and they you got to figure the whole thing out, all these layers. of Jacob has done more Uber and Lyft cases than anybody in the country. And if you're in Los Angeles um, or out in the desert, the Coachella Valley, um, and you get into any kind of, Jacob is the guy because it's, it's a pain in the ass. Let's face it. Um, you've got uh, your paperwork, your insurance company, their insurance company. If you're injured, you want to get to a doctor within 24 hours. You don't want to wait on that. So you preserve the value of your case and get the justice that you deserve. And Jacob and Ronnie is the guy that can do that. So any kind of accident, any kind of injury, friend at work, your wife, your kid, Jacob and Ronnie is the guy you want to go to. 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. 84424Jacob, or remember the catchy jingle, accident or injury. Call Jacob and Ronnie. Call, call Jacob. Jacob. You know, one of these times I want you to do your portion like Henry Higgins. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good idea. Okay. I would go back on now. I'm the right age to play Henry Higgins. <laughs> 
should go do a community theater production of it. You should. By the way, that's like the fourth time on this show that I've done um, that one part of I've grown accustomed to your face. That's why I laugh every time you bring it up because I know it's coming. (laughs) And it won't be the last. No, it won't be the last. It's coming up uh, a little bit later on this year. Uh, Hey, Sue, Happy New Year. Thank you very much. Great seeing you. Great seeing you. If you're listening right now, please, please go and subscribe, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. uh, And you can leave a rating, leave a review. We love you for that. Thanks a lot for listening. And we will see you next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.